Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. I'm so honored to be here this morning. My wife and kids are at our home church this morning, and, uh, and then I'll be heading back home for what I hope will be a two-hour uninterrupted nap, but with two young kids, that's not likely. Um, our daughter, Adelaide, she's going to be six in December. She's five, about five and a half right now. And our son, London, is going to be turning three in just a couple weeks now. He'll be turning three. And uh, my wife and I, Kyla, have been married for six, six years. Sorry, I had to think about that for a second. I've been married for six years now. And um, we've had a, uh, a whirlwind of a, of a first kind of, I don't know, early years of marriage. We got married when we were 22. Um, 22, I think. Sorry, I'm really bad with years and ages here. But uh, we got married pretty young. And... Um, and then we uh, found out about three weeks after we got married that we were expecting our first. And um, it was just a crazy, crazy moment in which we felt like we had to um, shortcut growing up really quickly. Um, but our daughter, Adelaide, was born. And we decided to name her Adelaide uh, because the name Adelaide means woman of noble character. Woman of noble character. And we thought that is exactly what we want our daughter to be known for. We, we don't want her to be known for um, for money, for looks, for um, talent. We want her to be known as someone of good character. Uh, then the time came to have our son, who we named London Brooks. And the name London means a strong and mighty fortress. Strong and mighty fortress. It was so important to us that we chose names that reflected that. Um, and so I'm, I'm here to bring the word this morning, but uh, I'm also here to share about a project that I've been part of. And Ola, I just want to thank you for that word uh, from Scripture about um, bringing the gospel to the poor, because I think so often um, we can do things in the name of Jesus, and people don't really catch that we're doing it in the name of Jesus, and unless we tell them, unless we tell them, how will they know? Unless we tell them that we are loving and giving in the name of Jesus, is because of God's gift to us that we can give this gift to you. Um, unless we tell them, how will they know? And um, I think uh, I can share a little bit more about this later. I think God's really given us. and this, and this, and this, when you continually live a life of generosity. And this past fall, I had the chance to go down to the Dominican Republic with an organization called World Vision. And I'll be honest, I went down there um, thinking that um, this is going to be an opportunity for me to enjoy some sunshine, do a little aid work, and that will help my, uh, my, my good status with the Lord. And I'm doing some aid work, and I'm going to get home, and it's going to be great. But I'll tell you what I saw when I got there completely wrecked me. And it wasn't the things I witnessed, it was the stories I heard and the testimonies I'd heard that completely wrecked me. We went and visited this house just outside of um, Santo Domingo, and I met this little girl named Andre there. And she was five years, she's five years old, just like my daughter. And as I walked up the street, I said, I need to sponsor a child from this neighborhood. And they said, really? Like, right now? I'm like, yeah, right now. Like, so they went and found one. They did all the research. And then they said, she actually just lives a block from here. Would you, would you like to go meet her right now? I said, yeah, I'd love to go meet her right now. So we walk up to the door. And the um, representative from World Vision walks in ahead of time from me and says, Andre, um, I have some incredible news for you today. And she goes, oh, you know what? What's going on? She says, somebody from Canada has decided to sponsor you. And I could see through the window. She didn't know that I was outside. I could see through the window or through the, the crack in the door, her face light up. And she did this little jumping dance. It was so incredible to see her life impacted in that moment. And I got to go in and bring her these gifts. And, and we shared this, this moment of just singing worship songs together on, um, on her porch. And she just enjoyed this, uh, this time we had together. But then her mother came home. And when her mother came home, she was dressed in this kind of nice sort of, you know, business casual kind of, dress and i said to the uh person world vision i said oh that's she looks like she's doing all right she looks like she's got a great job and she yeah she works for municipality it's a great job it's an awesome opportunity for her um she works every day from 8 30 till 2 30 
uh, but she has to take public transportation for two and a half hours to get to the job. And uh, we can't relate to that in Toronto, can we? Um, but we, she has to take public transportation for two and a half hours, uh, four different buses to get to this job. And I said, well, her outfit's really, really nice. It looks very professional. She goes, yeah, that's probably the only outfit for work that she owns. And I said, well, how much money would she, would, about like how much? You know, I'm trying to understand the, 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 the poverty factor here. She said, oh, she would make about um, $220. I go, a week? That ain't bad. And she goes, no, 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 a month. $220 a month. And I said, well, who are all these? There's all these kids here. Are these all hers? So we asked, says, no, these, these three are mine. These three are my sisters. These two are my other sisters. And this one we took in because her parents took off. And I said, well, where are all the fathers? They had all gone. So now there's this woman raising nine kids in this house on $220 a week. A month, sorry, a month. A month. And all of a sudden you realize the conditions that they face. And it was one of the most powerful moments where my wife and I that day decided to sponsor um, our third child. And... um, we decided at our house that we're going to sponsor a child for every um, child we have in our home. So we sponsor two kids, and or we have two kids, and we sponsor three kids. So I'm not sure if that's prophetic or what, um, but we'll roll with it if it is. And uh, that's just been what we've decided, and we've taught our kids from a young age to um, grow up learning about um, not only sharing the gospel, um, but also living out the gospel. I think the two go hand in hand, um, faith. Uh, without deeds can be dead. And I believe as a church that we ought to be on the forefront of this issue. And it was an issue for me, I thought, didn't really think was a huge issue until I saw it. And so um, today uh, I've I've brought the opportunity to get involved in what we're doing with World Vision. Um, I'm sponsoring uh, kids from the same project where I met my sponsor child, Andre. This is uh, literally her neighbors that are on this table out there. And... um, there's a little girl named Sari right here, and her birthday is coming up on Wednesday. Her birthday is coming on Wednesday. It'll be actually her first birthday. She's only 11 months right now. Her first birthday is coming up uh, this, this Wednesday. So I would love if we could go, uh, if someone would go home and sponsor her today from the table. And I'd love to meet you afterwards. And I would love to, um, I would love to come back with reports about uh, what God did this morning and seeing some children, Dominican and public sponsored, something near and dear to my heart. And I'll tell you why it's near and dear to my heart, because, because of this. The Bible says to pray in this way when the Lord, when Jesus said the Lord's Prayer, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in heaven as it is on earth. No, it doesn't say that, does it? On earth, as it is in heaven. We ought to pray, and we ought to live lives as believers, here on earth, as it is to heaven. See, there's no separation when it comes to us as believers. There's no separation of here and there. There isn't a here and there mentality. Because when you walk, when you talk, and when you walk in a room, you carry the kingdom of heaven with you. You are the conduit of heaven to earth. And that ought to be the way we pray. That ought to be the way we live. That ought to be the way we give. Because guess what? In heaven, when there is a financial need, you don't need to go to the bank and ask for another loan. You just pick up a brick off the road because it's paved of gold. You take a brick and then you go meet a need. And guess what? There's no broken relationships in heaven. Everything is restored. So when there's a broken relationship in your life, you ought to pray for restoration because you know that you are the conduit of heaven to earth. There's no poverty in heaven. People are not in need. And so if we're to bring a mindset of defeating poverty and making sure mouths are fed, we are that conduit of heaven to earth. It's, isn't it amazing that God's redemption plan for mankind would first come through his son to take back the keys of death. But then what Jesus said 
was he's going back to the Father. And the dominion that we're supposed to take back over the earth, the dominion over poverty, dominion over broken relationships, dominion over sexuality, the dominion over um, greed and pride and all those things, all the things that the devil currently has run wild with dominion in, God has chosen his redemption plan to come through us as believers. He's asked us to be the ones to go back and take ground. He's decided that heaven would flow through us and that he would dwell among us so that we could carry on his work. Do you realize the power that lives inside of you as a believer? You carry full access to all the benefits of heaven. You can bring to earth. You know what else there is in heaven? There's no sickness. There's no sickness. So guess what? I've stopped praying for people that God would help them in the process of their sickness. I just pray that it'll go away altogether. Because if I'm to pray here on earth as it is in heaven, I'm going to say, well, guess what? There's no sickness in heaven. So we're going to pray that there would be no sickness here on earth as well. Leave. Go. I want to tell you a story. There's this girl who's part of our worship team. Her name is Laura. She plays the keyboards. About a year and a half ago, um, she didn't show up to our young adult tonight. We got a text about two hours before she wasn't going to make it. And it was, this is very strange for Laura because Laura is one of the most responsible uh, people that uh, we had on our team. And I get this message saying, hey guys, sorry I'm not going to make it tonight. Um, can't tell you details quite yet, but I'm not going to make it. So I followed up with her. A couple of days later. And um, the conversation was one of the toughest, tougher ones I've had as a, as a pastor. She said, I've been having these headaches and I wasn't sure what was up. And um, the headaches were so bad, I actually passed out and went to the hospital to see what was up. Turns out I have a brain tumor. And they've given me about nine months. Laura is 23 years old. They've given me nine months. That was tough. That was tough. Laura was engaged at the time. And her wedding was coming up. As it stood, she would get married in July. And the doctors say, but by October, she would likely be passed. So, the wedding went on. And my wife sat there. Uh, My wife does wedding makeup on the side. Actually, it's not only her side business, but actually her side ministry. Because she she loves getting to speak into the bride right before she's about to get married and love to pray over them and, and speak words of wisdom and confidence into them. And so she said the toughest day was doing Laura's makeup for a wedding that she knew she probably would never see the pictures from because she didn't have long left. But they got married and it was a happy, happy day. Fast forward to October, the month where we were all ready for things to take a turn for the worse. She said, I want to go to this conference you guys are putting on called Wake Conference. And so... We made it, arranged for her to come, and she had to be helped in a wheelchair all around because she was very, very, very weak at this time. And the speaker, on the Sunday morning, um, got up, and, and we got ready. We were having breakfast, and God had done so much this weekend. And I, and I didn't know what to expect about Sunday morning. He said, we're going to do, do healings today. I said, okay, so you know, let's roll with it. So it was amazing what he did. Is he had these, you know, a word of knowledge, so just a... a, a really a message from God saying there's, there's a few needs specifically we're going to pray over today. Hers is one of them. So, so all these people stood up with physical needs, physical needs for healing. And he said to the congregation of us young adults, he said, all right, look around. All the people standing, they're the people who need to be healed. Now, all of you sitting, you're the ministry team. And I'm going, what? I've never healed anyone in my life. Is there a training class for this what if this doesn't work like what what are the words i'm supposed to say how do i do this right and he said no, no just repeat after me in heaven there is no sickness so on earth let it be so pray healing over this in the name of father son and holy spirit done so we pray for healing over laura and her brain tumor a couple of weeks later she goes to see the doctor and um the doctor walks in and has a report for her. And he goes, I'm sorry I've kept you waiting for over an hour. I've analyzed this probably six to eight times. I had to call another specialist to analyze this. 
but there's no brain tumor. It's gone. He says, this is miraculous. I've never seen anything like it. So yesterday, I sent Laura an email to say, hey, hope you, know, hope you and your husband are doing well. You guys still got to come over for dinner. We got to get that set up. And she said, guess what? I got another MRI yesterday. Still no cancer. It's still gone. She was supposed to be gone from this earth nine months ago. But she is alive and strong today. That... That's the power of God at work. It's the power of God. And I don't tell you that testimony this morning just to stir your faith. I tell it to you today to stir your expectation. Because faith without expectation is nothing more than wishful thinking. See, you can have faith... That God can do something. But do you have expectation that he will do something? There's a difference between can do something and will do something. Can do something acknowledges what God's done. Will do something acknowledges he'll do it again. We serve a God who hasn't just done it once, but he wants to do it again and again and again. Lack of expectation will squash your faith. Lack of expectation will completely kill the faith of a believer. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, true faith is never found alone. It's always accompanied by expectation. The man who believes the promises of God expects to see them fulfilled. Where there is no expectation, there is no faith. I think we've lost the art of testimony in our churches sometimes. Because you know what testimony does? Testimony stirs expectation and faith. And faith and expectation with testimony stirs belief. You want to see people get saved just by walking to church? Start sharing testimonies. Because it will start stirring the faith of people in the room. And the expectation in the room saying, Hey, if, they, if God did it for them, why wouldn't God do it for me? If God did it for this person, uh, why wouldn't I just reach out and say, I'm asking for the same thing? There's something that happens when expectation follows up faith. We ought to be people not of just faith, but people of expectation. 2 Kings chapter 4. I want to read from there today. It's a story of a widow, a wife, mother. And she's lost everything and finds herself in a real tough situation. It says this in verse 1. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. You know, I was preaching this a couple weeks ago. And I laughed because um, I was at the Service Ontario place to get my plates renewed. And um, when they say we should pray for our government, um, you just need to look at the charges that it costs you to get your plates renewed. For, and we ought to pray that there would be some mercy in our government when it comes to getting your automobile registered and on the road. So I went there, and it turns out our 407 bills were going to our old address um, and an old email that had been disconnected. So I need this little license sticker, this little sticker that's like about that big. I need that to put on my plate. And it cost me, by the time they were done with me, $1,200 for this little sticker. And as they're saying, oh, it's going to be this charge for this. And I literally said to them, do you want my firstborn too? Just take it all. Just, just ring, phone, take it. It looks like you're taking everything. I kind of joked when we were laughing. No, literally, this, this woman, the, the people are literally coming for her firstborn. This is the story. They're literally coming to take her firstborn. They're literally coming to take everything she owns right now because she cannot pay debts. This is an agricultural society. And now that her husband is dead, so is the major source of income for their families. There was not insurance plans. There was not life insurance plans. This woman is now stuck trying to figure out how to provide for her children. And now the creditors are coming. 
So Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She says this, your servant has nothing there at all. Except a small jar of olive oil. It's interesting how when we look at our situations, we can see that we have nothing at all. Immediately she goes, nothing at all, except this. How often do we look at our situations and go, there is no hope at all, except if God pulls through. How often do our conversations look like that? We look at our circumstance and we begin to allow it to infiltrate our faith and infiltrate our expectation. And she says, sure, um, all I really have is one jar of olive oil. One jar. That's all I got. Guess what? Our God is really good at taking nothing much and multiplying it into greater things. He did it with the loaves and the fishes. He did it with the water and the wine. You give God nothing much, he is ready to do a miracle with it. What we view as nothing and nothing at all, he views as something and he views it as an opportunity to be more. That is the way our God sees things. Nothing at all, she says. Verse 3 and 5. Let's read this. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask just for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour, pour oil in all the jars and as each is filled, put to one, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind him and her sons. They brought the jar to her and she kept pouring. She kept pouring when they brought her the jars. Immediately, there was a response to the request. If I were her, when Elisha says, go grab some jars from your neighbors, I would say, why? How does this help my situation? How does this help make things better? She didn't argue. She didn't protest. She just moved straight into action. Why? Because she had expectation. She didn't know it was going to happen. She knew something was going to happen. I love in the story where Jesus turns the water into wine. I love what Mary says to the servants. Because Jesus, they, Mary goes to Jesus and says, um, you know, we're out of wine. You know, what can we do about this? And he says, my time has not yet come. Every indication of that conversation show that Jesus was not willing to perform a miracle. Every indication by that conversation was saying, I don't think he's going to do anything about it. My time has not yet come. He's not, seeming, he's not seeming amped on this situation right now. But guess what Mary says? She has faith and expectation. She says to the servants, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. And there you see the expectation. She didn't just believe Jesus could do a miracle. She believed he would. Even when it looked like the odds were stacked against him doing a miracle. Expectation. Expectation. But see, so often, we don't get to the... We allow our expectation to be shut down by this nasty F word called fear. We allow fear of what people will think of us. Fear that God might not show up. Fear that it might not work. Fear that we might waste time. See, you know what I've noticed about our millennial generation? I'm a young adults pastor, so I hang out with a lot of these millennials. um, Of which I sort of am one. But, here nor there. Um, Millennials will do things when they understand why. The generation before us, if you were a student and the teacher told you to do something, you just did it. That was, that was my father's generation. When the teacher says do something, when your boss says do something, you just do it. Doesn't matter why. Doesn't matter what the logic is. Today's generation needs to understand why. We'll do the process if we think it's going to end up in the right result. But if the process doesn't look like it'll get me there, I'm not sure I'm willing to start here. We need to know why. So, if... The widow is feeling in this situation like gathering jars from people 
will help me get out of my debt situation. No, there's no indication of that. But expectation will allow you to do unnatural things because you believe that supernatural power is coming. That's what expectation does. Can you imagine what's going through her mind? She's going, I've called upon the prophet Elisha to come. And I know you have power. I know you have ability to heal, ability to do things in a moment. I know you could call up the creditors and give them a word from the Lord. And they might just let this go. Instead, Elisha says, I want you to collect jars. If I were her in this situation, I'd be going, Elisha, what does me collecting jars have to do with anything? What does me collecting jars from my neighbor... It's like, I'm in debt and you're asking me to throw a Tupperware party. What, what is the point of this? Where does this get us? But see, sometimes it's little about the actual thing we're asked to do. But whether or not we're willing to do it with expectation and obedience. See, it becomes more about the heart than is the action. It's just like tithing. God doesn't really need your money, but he wants your heart. And so he's asking you to take a step of expectation that when you give, God will multiply it beyond what you could do. And you also have an expectation that God will then take care of your needs, take care of you, and bless you. There's an expectation. See, it's not about the money changing hands. It has nothing to do with the bills. God is a God of unlimited resource and unlimited supply. He does not need our money. But what he does, he wants our hearts. And what he chooses to do is his act of obedience in us tithing and giving. He uses that as a way to stir our expectation and stir our faith. God uses natural things to accomplish supernatural things, uh, supernatural miracles. And so here's what I want to ask you today. I want to sit here for a minute. How many times have we allowed fear to rob us of expectation? How many times have we walked into a situation? Maybe somebody needs healing and they've asked you to pray for them. And you've allowed the fear of maybe this might not work to rob you of your expectation that this is going to work. How many times have you allowed your friends fear, fear that's not even your own, to rob you of your expectation? You're waiting on a miracle and they're telling you it's impractical. I wonder how many miracles got lost because our faith was never met with expectation. I wonder how many provisions we've yet to grab hold of because we stopped expecting it to happen. We cannot allow fear in ourselves to rob us of expectation. Secondly, we cannot allow fear of people around us to rob us of expectation. Because they don't want to just rob their own expectation. They'll suck it out of you as well. If you've got friends that are stealing your joy and your expectation, you've got to find some new friends. You've got to surround yourself with some people that are going to bring expectation with you. I love it whenever I go to pray for healing over somebody. I look around the room and I go, that is a man of expectation. That man is going to come into the circle and he's going to come in with full fire and full belief that this something's going to happen. And when you start getting enough people that are expecting something to happen, guess what? Something happens. It's incredible what happens when people rally together with faith and expectation. It's amazing what God does. Verse 5 to 7. Let's read this again here. It says, She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not one jar left. Not one jar left. They've all been full. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God. He said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. And your sons, yourself, can live on what's left. Isn't that incredible? Something powerful happens. We take a little bit of faith and mix it with a whole lot of expectation. See, faith is what led the woman to Elisha. Faith that God could do something. 
Expectation is what led her into action. See, here's the thing. I think sometimes we get our phrases wrong. We don't need to work on our faith. God's given us the gift of our faith. We don't need to reach out and keep grabbing faith. We, God has given us a gift of faith. The Bible says to each one of us that we have been given a measure of faith. Who's God given a measure of faith to? Each one of us. See, it's by faith that we come to know Jesus. Faith is a gift given to God that is imparted into us as believers. Now, it's our job to work out our faith, because like a muscle that we have to steward, we have to steward our faith. But guess what? Faith is given to us by God. Expectation is our job. Faith is a gift from God. Expectation is something we need to work out ourselves. You can take faith. It's God-given. It's a gift bestowed upon each and every one of us. But expectation is something we have to work hard to live out. Expectation is our job. Sometimes what you need to do is you need to keep pouring out expectation until the miracle comes. Sometimes you need to keep pouring out the expectation until you see the miracle happen. Because guess what? She's pouring one jar of oil, two jars of oil. She's thinking, that's still not enough to carry, cover all my debt. That'll get me through one creditor. But guess what? She kept pouring. The problem's not solved in one jar. She had to keep pouring another jar and another one. So guess what? You may go to the doctor and the medical report may be bad. Keep pouring out expectation. You may be believing to be debt-free in your life, and there's another unexpected bill that comes your way. Keep pouring out expectation. You may be believing for a restored marriage in your life, and every time you take another step forward, it feels like you have another step back. Keep pouring out expectation. Don't ever stop pouring out expectation, because I wonder if sometimes the miracle is proportionate to our ability to keep pouring out the expectation. Because guess what? The miracle dried up when she stopped pouring. She ran out of jars, and she stopped pouring. Sometimes I wonder if God's ability to do miracles in our lives are proportionate to our ability to keep pouring it out in expectation. What's God asked you to keep pouring out in your life? Is it to keep pouring out grace to someone who's shown you none? Mercy to the person who's hurt you seven times? Diligence? in your workplace, to a boss who feels like he doesn't care? Is it pouring out in your giving, even though it feels like you don't have anything to give? What is God asking you to keep pouring out? Sometimes I wonder if our ability to receive God's provisions for our lives sometimes corresponding to our ability to accept, expect Him for it. See, we can't live as believers just believing God can. We have to live as believers believing God will. Because He's done it once. He's going to do it again. He can do it. He will do it. But you know where most of us get hung up? Sometimes we don't believe He wants to do it. He'd want to do it for somebody else. But why would he want to do it for me? And right there, we accept a lie that is nothing more than a lie from the pit of hell. God's acceptance and love for you is not proportionate to your ability to love him. God loved us first. He chose us first. I love the letter that Mary and Martha send about their brother Lazarus to Jesus. Their dear brother is on his deathbed, and the only words they decide to write to Jesus are, Lord, the one you love is sick. Focusing solely on God's love for Lazarus. Nothing about his relationship there. We need to understand that not only can God do a miracle... He wants to do a miracle, and He will do a miracle in your life. That's faith and expectation. Confidence. See, faith 
without expectation is nothing more than wishful thinking. And see, I believe the miracles of God will stop flowing the minute you stop expecting. The miracles stop flowing when we stop expecting. See, we need to awaken our expectation. I want to read this because I think this hits home for me. Another quote by A.W. Tozer. He says, it's one of the most tragic things in the church today. He wrote this a long time ago. Is that people come to church and expect nothing to happen out of the norm. And guess what? Almost every time, nothing out of the norm happens. People come to church expecting some nice music, a nice little message, a couple of handshakes, some coffee, and we go home. And guess what? That's exactly what happens. Ever been to a family dinner or a meeting or a, a friend gathering and you went in thinking, this is going to be rough tonight. This is going to be awkward. This is going to be tough. This is going to be... Guess what? It usually stinks. But when you go into a situation believing, you know what? I'm believing for the best tonight. Guess what? It usually ends up being all right. If you walk into church expecting nothing to happen, I can almost guarantee you nothing's going to happen. But if you come to church with expectation that God's going to move, He's going to do something out of the norm, and He wants to do it, and He will do it, I'm almost willing to bet something's going to happen. A.W. Tozer goes on to say this, that a gathering of believers, a church like this, ought to be the breeding ground of expectation for a world who does not know Jesus. We ought to be the place that breeds expectation, so much so that it flows out of this building whenever we go into our workplaces or our homes or our schools. We've got to be the breeding ground. See, Christian expectation in the average church follows the program, not the promises. That's what he said. Prevailing spiritual conditions, however low, are acceptable as inevitable, accepted as inevitable. What will be is what has been. The weary slaves of the dull routine find it impossible to hope for anything better. That's what A.W. Tozer said about the church. We need today a fresh spirit of anticipation that springs out of the promises of God. We must declare war on the mood of non-expectation and come together with childlike faith. Only then can we know the beauty and the wonder of the Lord's presence among us. What a quote. We ought to be the breeding ground of expectation. That people know that if they're in need of healing, they can show up at Weston Road Church and that there will be people that will pray with them and they can get healed. Because guess what? Salvation is not a prerequisite to God's healing, to God's provision. Many times it was healing that led people to belief. We want to show how good our God is. Let's show them that He's a healing God. He's a restorative God. He's a generous God. And we're going to pour that out. And people know that when they're in need, they can come right here and stand at this altar and a miracle is going to happen. That's the best church growth strategy in the world, by the way. The power and the presence of God. Spencer's worship leading helps as well. But, best church growth strategy in the world is people knowing that the power of God is present in a place. And guess what? That does not happen without expectation. We need to be believers of expectation. It's time to awaken our expectation this morning, church. I want to tell you a story. And um, how am I doing on time? Am I doing all right? Okay. We'll wrap up here soon. I want to tell you a story. And... Um, Because truthfully, I'm not going to ask you to walk something out that I haven't walked out myself. I want to show you what can happen when you pour out expectation and when you don't pour out expectation. My wife and I, as I said, we got married um, relative, relatively young by today's standards. And um, right away when we were uh, about three months in, we were pregnant. And so our whole, our whole financial plans for our life just out the window, let's kind of figure this out on the fly. And um, over the seven years of us being together, God's been incredibly gracious, gracious to us. But we haven't, hadn't been incredibly faithful to Him in the area of finance. And we found ourselves um, not tithing for a season, to be honest with you. And um, 
it is amazing that when we stopped tithing, it was like we didn't know where all our money went. It was just gone. We didn't really know where it went. And so over about seven years, we, we had racked up bits of debt. Not, not massive sums, but, but enough of a chunk to make us feel like it's a stranglehold on us. We've talked about buying a second car, um, you know, owning a home, all those things. And we, we couldn't do it because we had this ugly thing hanging over us called debt. And it felt like every time we'd get a little bit further ahead, it would come back on us again. And so back in November, we're driving to, uh, to Florida as a family. And um, things were really tight. We had to really be tight on, on this trip. And uh, I'm listening to this message by Pastor Bill Johnson from Bethel Church in Redding, California. And he, at the end of his message, I don't remember what the message was about. I just remember the prayer he did at the end. He said, I'm going to pray for our congregation right now for the releasing and the cancellation of debt. The, can- the word cancellation stood out to me. So I just go, yeah, I'm going to believe that. I'm going to believe that. But guess what I started doing? I started doing all the things that feel practical to help get rid of debt. I started selling off some guitars, taking on some extra graphic design work, doing all these things to try and cancel the debt that I was believing God to do for me. So guess what? Never happened. Never happened. For another three months, we continued the same cycle. Fast forward a little bit. Longer, and I listened to another sermon from Bethel Church. By the way, if you you got to listen to Bethel Reading stuff because talk about stirring faith and expectation. I'm listening to a sermon by this guy named Chris Vallotton, and he shares a story about how he's preaching at this church, and he had people lining up for ministry at the end of this at the end of the service, and he's praying over people. And finally, there's one guy kind of waiting awkwardly at the end. He's holding this picture in his hand, and um, Eunice, you can come up on keys if that's all right. Thank you. Um, there's this guy holding this picture at the end. And so he walks up to Pastor Chris, and Chris goes, how can I pray for you? He goes, actually, you don't need to pray for me today. He goes, okay, why are you in line then? And um, he says, uh, I'm here to pay off your mortgage. What? He goes, no, I'm here to pay off your mortgage. And he goes, have you tested this with somebody else? He goes, yep. Talked to my pastor about it. The Lord told me to pay off your mortgage. And the guy, clear as day, said this. And he said to him, why, why are you paying off my mortgage? And he says, see this picture? He goes, yeah, it's, it's a yacht. And he goes, yeah, I really want this boat. And God says, I can't have the boat until I pay off your mortgage. What? So this pastor goes, hey, not to make this awkward or anything, he goes, I was pretty successful in business before as a pastor. I have about 500000 left on my mortgage. And he goes, it's fine. Sure enough, the guy called this guy a week later. And he gets a call from his bank saying, your mortgage of 500000 has been paid in full. What? Some random guy at church. Random guy. And you know what that did it stirred my faith I called my wife and I said why not us why wouldn't God want to do that for us because every time my wife and I talk about wanting to be generous to people wanting to be able to say hey there's needs for for this and for this and this team's going on a mission trip and wanting to just be able to say hey we'll give to that we'll give to that we'll give to that so and so's down and out and been evicted we'll we'll put them up in a hotel whatever it is we'll we'll we want we want to be God's conduit to blessing people i want to get involved in what God is doing to help meet the needs of people and you know what it takes resource to do it my wife and I dream of starting and planting a church one day, but we always kept going, but this debt, but this debt. So finally, my wife and I joined hands, and I proclaimed it on a Sunday night at our church. I don't know what I was thinking when I did it, but I just spit it out there. I said, guys, I want you to agree with me that my wife and I, we are believing for the cancellation of our debt, and I can't wait to share a testimony of how God does it. And I go, Kyla goes, that was a little bold. I go, yeah, but wait and see what God does. I 
had so much expectation this time. So you know what was different about the fir- this time than the first time? I started going to my mailbox every day. And I'd go, why wouldn't someone send me a random check? Why wouldn't someone just choose to say, God told me to send this to you? Why not? I'm praying for people at church. I'm looking down the aisle and seeing if anyone's got nice watches on. Maybe he's going to pay off my debt. Maybe he's going to cover it. That guy looks well off. Maybe he's going to do it. And so we just waited. And we just were looking for how God was going to do it. Now, this is in um, early April. Now, every year, I do my tax return, like, in February. Because it provides a little temporary relief for our family. A little temporary financial relief. Not much, but enough to kind of go, hey, we can fix a few things we wanted to fix. We can get that coffee table and, you know, whatever. So not much. So for whatever reason, I had all the stuff sitting right on my desk to do my taxes. But it wasn't until the day after I proclaimed this prayer and believed with expectation again in the morning God was going to do it, that I decided to sit down and do my taxes. I could have done it two months earlier, didn't do it. It's no coincidence that the, d- the day after I proclaimed I was believing God for something, that I started doing my taxes. I put all the information in. I put it into the computer and I do like TurboTax or whatever. And uh, I see the number for the return pop up and I go, that can't be right. Something's wrong. I've added a zero somewhere. And so I completely scrap it. And I do my taxes again. If you hate doing your taxes once, try doing it twice. Um, so I do them all again from scratch. Same number. Thought, if I know the tax services like I know the tax services, they're going to find a way to give me less than that. So I'm going to submit it, and they're probably going to come back and tell me that I've made an error. I've done something wrong. So we submit it, and we keep waiting with expectation. I go, I don't know. It's just a number. We don't know until it comes back. So let's just keep believing God's going to provide. Well, sure enough, we get an email from the CRA saying we've filed and we've uh, reassessed or assessed your tax situation. Here is the amount that we owe you. And it was more than the amount that was before. And... I said to my wife, this was on a Friday, we got this email. I said, the amount will go into your account within 10 business days. And I said, you know what? God's a God of crazy stuff. And we have a reckless service on Sunday night with young adults. And I'd love to get up there and testify that God did what I thought he would do. That God did what he said he would do. I want to testify. So God, if this is you... You're going to make this money show up on our account before I hit the stage on Sunday night. And wouldn't you know that a Saturday at 12 p.m., the Canadian government decided to hop on their computers and process my payment. And we tallied it up against our debt, and it covered our debt to the $100, the exact amount we needed. God wiped out our debt in one swing. Now, I tell you that testimony because it took a lot of bold expectation to go through life and to go through the next couple weeks believing that God was going to miraculously do something. But if he's done it once, he can do it again. And if he wanted to do it once, he wants to do it again. He's just waiting for you to come to him with some expectation. So what are the things that you need to come with expectation for today? Maybe you need to do an act of obedience in that expectation. Maybe you're here and you need healing in something that that you feel you can't talk about. Maybe that act of expectation obedience is you getting out of your seat and walking right down here and saying, I need prayer. Maybe you have a son or daughter who's walked away from the Lord. Maybe your act of expectation is calling them when you get home and inviting them to the church. Believing that God's going to do something. That he can and he will. Maybe you've been believing in your life to be debt free. 
Maybe you've been asking God to provide for you financially in a way. Maybe your act of radical expectation, radical belief is saying, you know what? I'm going to go sponsor a child today because while I'm waiting for God to show up and provide for me, I'm going to provide for somebody else. Maybe that's your expectation move today. But I believe God wants to accomplish some miracles all across this room today. But I believe your ability to receive what God has will be proportionate to your ability to expect him for it. I told you lots of testimonies today because I hope your expectation is stirred. So right now, I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you down. And we're going to pray together. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. God, we pray that right now, um, as we just go into a time of ministry, that there would be great expectation in this room. There would be a massive move of your spirit. God, I pray for great generosity today for some of the children on the table. I pray that these little ones would be sponsored and someone would care for them. But God, we pray for breakthroughs financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically today all over this room. We pray for breakthroughs. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Hey, well, um, if you have a need this morning, um, physical, spiritual, whatever, I'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Um, If you would love to just hear prophetically what God would want to speak over you this morning, I'd love the opportunity to prophesy over you and see what God would say. Um, But we're going to leave this space open for ministry time, the end. Um, So if that's you need prayer, just come here. Just just form a line down the aisle. I will stay until the last person is prayed for. I don't care if it takes me until 6 p.m. So we'll make sure everybody's prayed for today and everyone um, receives something from the Lord because he's got a lot to give today. He's not running out of stuff to give. He's got a lot to give question is do you want it so come on and come on down line up and we'll pray with everybody today god bless you thank you so much for listening to the sermon of the week god wants to work in your life and we want to hear about it please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com thanks again for joining us we hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go